0: the ghosts of St. George's. Did I believe in ghosts? Did I believe in ghosts? Body can't live in Spotsylvania County, Virginia her entire life and not believe in ghosts. Heck, Fredericksburg was only ten miles away. And between the spirits of the soldiers who fell during the Battle of Spotsylvania Courthouse and the Lady in White, Fall Hill Fanny, the Sioux Indian Princess, and all them poltergeists playing piano in the chimneys and tugging on dresses in the Rising Sun Tavern or milling around the foggy lanes of Sunken Road, The area where I grew up was one of the most haunted places this side of the Rappahannock. That's not to say that everybody who lived in Spotsy and Fred had been haunted. Some people don't believe in the supernatural, believe it or not. And even if they did, ghosts didn't exactly care about marketing or exposure. I kind of felt like spirits was like cats in a lot of ways. If you tried too hard to find one, they did their best to stay out of your way. But ignore them, and boy howdy, did they love to rub up against your pant leg or purr in your ear or claw at your flesh. I'm one of the lighters. Non-believers, that is. I never did believe in ghosts or demons or monsters, at least not until the hive landed. But for someone who held such strong convictions to the contrary, I sure was haunted a lot. I was nine years old the first time i seen a ghost. Daddy took me and my Girl Scout troop out to Spotsylvania courthouse to earn our eco-camper badges. Camping wasn't new to me. Daddy took me hunting every fall. And if we wasn't hunched down behind some deer blind, we was hunched over some fire or hunched over some tracks or hunched over a dead deer. He taught me everything. How to skin them, gut 'em, gut cut them. We did a lot of fishing out there, too. I should have been able to earn a badge just by birthright. But for some reason, the GSA only awarded credit if I pulled it off with a bunch of tenderfoot suburban Barbies. It ain't fair, I told Daddy. I've camped out in them woods enough times to earn a thousand of them badges. Life ain't fair, Amanda. I hate it when you say that. I hate it when you whine at me all the time. Weren't you the one who wanted to join the Girl Scouts in the first place? Yeah. Well, then suck it up. I mouthed the words as he said it. Suck it up was Daddy's response to everything I didn't want to do. Of course, I forgot how opposed I was to the whole thing the moment we got out there. I loved camping. Setting up the tents, the smoky smell of the fire, the crunch of the leaves and the snapping sticks as we hiked through the woods. Heck, I even loved it whenever I lost my foot in crossing a creek and plunked into the icy cold water. Them other girls weren't too keen on it, though, and they whined and wheedled the whole time. All except my best friend at the time, Brianna Moses. She was as tough as any country girl I'd ever met. Tougher, if I'm being honest. The story she told me about what she and her friends did on the streets of the city made my humble existence feel downright uneventful. We had ourselves a time, Brianna and me, but soon it was time to bed down for the night. On the way back to our campsite, we've seen dozens of white bivouacs popped up on the old battlefields. What are they? Bri asked me. Reenactors. What? Civil War people. They come down here all the time. What do they do? Well, they, they play fight like they was in the Civil War. Why? I don't know. Why does anybody do anything? It's kind of fun to watch, though. That night, we ate chicken roasted over the fire, and Daddy gave us chocolate and marshmallows and graham crackers for s'mores, and he even told us a silly ghost story about some lady with a yellow handkerchief around her neck. When it was time for bed, Bree and I shared a tent, and after we giggled and tried to scare each other some more, the activity of the day caught us up, and we conked out. I don't know what time it was when I woke up. I've been having a nightmare about creatures oozing up from the mud on the banks of the Rappahannock, chasing me, reaching for me with their black claws. And then something was leaning over me, a form in the dark, breathing in my face. I shrank back, a little squeak escaping my lips, and that made me mad. I hated that feeling, and I'm not talking about fear. Fear don't confront me none. Fear's just anxiety on steroids. All you got to do is act, and it goes away. No, the feeling I hated was helplessness. Amanda, the form whispered, a sigh of relief. Dang, Bree, you near about gave me a heart attack. I gotta go to the bathroom. So go to the bathroom. I have to do it away from camp. Oh. She was talking about the other kind of bathroom. Being close to the campsite was fine. In fact, it tended to drive some of the sneakier critters away. But going number two anywhere near to where we slept and ate was a big no-no, which meant Bree had to go out in the woods by herself in the dark. I get it. Hold on. Bree was a blob of white in the pitch dark as we trotted through the woods. I made sure we went at least a 100 yards in before I told her we were far enough, and I guess Bree couldn't wait because as soon as I said to stop, she dropped her drawers and got to it. I wandered another ten or so yards away to give her some privacy and found myself standing on the edge of the woods, overlooking the bloody angle. Daddy had told me about it about a hundred times, but I tended to tune out almost as soon as he started talking. All I remembered was how appropriate the name was. A fog had settled over the battlefield, thick and silvery in the light of the full moon. The night sound swelled. I wondered if the reenactors' bivouacs were still set up in the fog, and that's when I heard the first groan. Sounded like someone was in a lot of pain. Hello? I said. Who's there? Another groan followed, and another, and another. Bree came up beside me. What is that? I think it's the reenactors having fun with us. It's not funny, you bunch of dumb rednecks! There was a pause in the noises, and I expected to hear them laughing at us, but instead they doubled down and started whispering. My arm, my leg. Bree tugged on my pajama sleeve. Amanda, let's go. This is freaking me out. "Uh Uh-uh, they're not supposed to act that way. I put my hands to my mouth and yelled, You think it's funny trying to scare a couple of kids? You have two. Yeah, I got two. Two fists. The fog at the edge of the field shifted and swirled, and I heard a thump followed by a drag. Bree tugged again. Amanda, come on. I pulled free and marched out of the woods and onto the field. Where are you at, you jerks? And that's when I saw the fog was acting weird. It had formed a wall about four feet high, but wouldn't spread out, as if it had hit some kind of invisible barrier at the edge of the battlefield and couldn't get past it. The thump and drag came again, louder this time, and the whispers sounded like they were coming from all around me. Arm. To. Leg. I spun around in circles, disoriented by the noise, and then I stopped. Everything had gone dead silent. No more breeze in the branches, no more insects in the woods, no more eerie whispering. All I could hear was my own shaken breath. Then I turned around, and a corpse was standing right behind me. Its clothing hung off it in rags, blue strips of an old wool uniform, and its skin, mottled and dry, clung to what remained of a cracked and dented skull. It reached out with one tattered arm, groaning, and grabbed my shoulder with a skeletal hand. Your arm! arm. I screamed and pulled free, but in my panic I spun directly into the fog. More hands reached for me as I ran. Shadows loomed up at me. They tore my clothes and sliced my skin. I screamed and screamed, pushing forward. If I ran into anything, I shoved it away. If something grabbed me, I pulled free. Bones cracked and shattered, and I ran and ran and ran until I found myself in the middle of a cleared-out patch of ground in the middle of the field, screaming all by myself in the middle of the night. Nothing was there. No corpses, no skeleton arms, nothing reaching for me, nothing. Just a wall of fog surrounding me in a perfect circle. Then I saw them. The people they used to be. Soldiers. Boys, really. Not much older than me. Wearing blue and gray running towards each other, shooting, getting shot, dying. The battle raged until the ground was covered in bodies, one foot, two feet, three feet deep. And the battlefield was surrounded by a wall of limbs just as high, legs and arms, feet and hands. And then something touched me on the shoulder, and I screamed and whirled around and shoved it whatever it was, and it brought me into itself and held me there no matter how hard I tried to get away. And I punched and kicked and bit, and then it said, "Man, to calm down. I stopped struggling. Daddy? What's got into you? What are you doing out here? I, I, Bree, Bree came and woke me up. She said you'd gone bonkers out in the woods. What'd you do to your clothes? Are you bleeding? She had to go to the bathroom and... I peeked out from within his grasp. The fog remained, but was only hovering around our feet. Gone were the monsters, the dead soldiers, the wall of arms and legs. I guess I got scared is all. Well, it's okay. Come on, let's go back to camp. We didn't talk about what happened the rest of the trip, but on the way home, after we dropped everybody off, I said, Daddy, I saw something out there on that field. He didn't reply, just kept driving. You hear me? There were these... things. Dead things. Dead people. They wanted... they tried to... They tried to take your arms? How'd you know? Bloody Angle ain't named the Bloody Angle for nothing, Sugar Pie. Don't call me Sugar Pie. Okay. So those things were real? Real enough. Scratched you up, didn't they? They sure did. I know you're scared, but to be honest, you should be kind of proud of yourself. Proud of myself? Oh, yeah. The ghosts of the bloody angle don't just haunt anybody. They must have seen something special in you. My arms, I guess. Mark it, Manda. It's a sign. I stared out the window for a while, watching the trees blur as we drove by. That's the kind of sign I could do without, I muttered to myself. Cast my shadow on the snow. When the sun rose in the morning, I got down on my knees and I wept for the beauty of it all. Dr. Huntington's brilliant plan consisted of hiking all the way out to St. George's Episcopal Church in the middle of the night to stir up some protoplasm. We will use my specially calibrated machines to harness the preternatural energy of the spirits trapped there and create a wormhole through which you and your friends will travel into the world of the hive, he said. His eyes lit up like Roman candles when he talked about it, and I would have been charmed if he wasn't such a jerk all the other moments of his life. Specially calibrated machines, I said. How specially calibrated are they? He gave me a withering look. You can be assured of their accuracy, Miss Jett. I promise you. Does that mean we'll end up in St. George's when we get to the other side? Because I gotta tell you, setting us down in the middle of the capital of the Hive don't sound like a good idea to me. Dr. H looked stricken, and right then I knew he hadn't thought of that. Looks like you might have to uncalibrate your special machines. He smiled, then, unsmiling, turned his back to me, muttering in math. For those of you who don't know, St. George's is one of the most haunted places in Fredericksburg. Actually, it's the most haunted place in Fredericksburg. More haunted than Sunken Road, more haunted than the Rising Sun Tavern, more haunted than the chimneys, and yeah, more haunted than the Bloody Angle. When I tried to explain this to him, well, to his back as he walked away, all he said was, I know, Miss Jett. that's entirely the point. I've been around a few frustrating men in my life. Daddy, Uncle Zeus. But Dr. Huntington wasn't just frustrating, he was infuriating. He didn't just plan the mission for the dead of the night, he made sure to load us all up with as much gear as possible. Floodlights, speakers, a generator, gasoline, machines, scaffold, stands, ladders, all on top of our own backpacks, guns, knives, clothes, and anything else we thought we'd need on the other side. The melonhead kids actually shouldered more of the load than I thought possible, and Dr. H said he could only spare a few of them, Berenice and Holt, and two others, saying he needed the rest to stay behind and guard his laboratory. That's how he pronounced it, laboratory. He made Berenice and all them wear backpacks so stuffed with gear they looked like hunchback ticks. And that's how we found ourselves slogging down 208, overloaded with tents and packs and all manner of junk, startling at every sound, wondering when a mac or a tentacle or some creepy monster was going to jump out at us from the woods or a bend or an abandoned car. It was distressingly uneventful. I'm a firm believer in jinxes, so at the time I didn't want to say anything. But when you're a survivor of an alien invasion that took over the world and changed the climate in less than a year, things don't never go right. And when they do, watch out, because they was about to go terribly wrong. that kind of thinking amped me up as much as I'd ever been. Timmy Carter's ribs were still tender, but he still came out with us anyway. Not that he was good company. I didn't get a chance to talk to him because all he ever did was want to hover around the girl. He wasn't ignoring me so much as he wanted to be around her, but it still didn't feel good. And on top of that, we had another two people go missing earlier that week, so Alani stayed behind to sort that mess out, which meant that for the entire walk, I didn't have nobody I could distract myself with. At one point, though, Timmy Carter said something to the girl and peeled off to discuss something with Dr. H, leaving her to walk by herself. And even though I knew she probably didn't want to talk to me, I also knew that in order for the mission to come correct, I needed to set myself straight with her. So I increased my pace and caught her up. A couple of her friends, Brownie and a cute little blonde girl, saw it and tried to cut me off, but the girl shook her head at them, and they stopped. Hey, I said. She kept staring straight ahead. Uh, nice night, ain't it? What do you want? Just making small talk. Small talk? Yeah, you know, how's the weather? How you been? Oh. A river raged between us, and it was up to me to build the bridge. I took a deep breath and let it out. (sighs) All right. Look, I need to apologize to you for doing you the way i done. You didn't do anything to me. Well, I mean, what about Alex? Is that Brownie's name or Dreadlocks? She stared at me. Hard. Oh, so Dreadlocks. You didn't have to do it. Yeah, I did. He was trying to kill me, remember? That seemed to throw her. No, that's... That's what? He came at me. Y'all came at me. He held me up in the air like about to choke me out until... I looked over my shoulder at brownie. Why don't you heal him up like you done them others? It ain't like you. I stopped talking. The girl looked like she was about to cry. Well, we don't have to be friends. We're not. Fine, but we have to work together. I can do that if you can. Our footsteps scuffed the pavement. I can do that. Good. So, can you tell me who we're looking for over there? You don't need to know. Did you listen to a word I just said? She didn't literally grit her teeth, but I could tell her jaw was clenched tighter than a crab apple. Waldo. What? His name. It's Waldo. Okay, Waldo and who else? First things first. She picked up her pace and joined her friends. Well, where do we find him? I called after her. Where are we going to stay? How's this going to work? I didn't expect her to answer, and she lived up to that expectation. I could have made the walk in three hours, two and a half if I was really trying. But trekking in a group ain't nearly the same as going solo, and we had all that gear to carry, so what should have been a four-hour pace turned to five pretty quick. Made me think about the Civil War for some reason. How them generals drove thousands of men thousands of miles fast and faster. How much discipline that must have took. I'd say it was close to three in the morning by the time we made it to the corner of College Avenue and William Street. And every last one of us was pooped, even Berenice and Burt holding all them. And even though we were less than a mile away, we all decided to stop for a tick. I sat on the curb and rubbed my feet, and the melonheads unloaded their gear in the middle of the street. Thunder rumbled in the distance as clouds rolled in from the southwest, huge and black and streaked with lightning. Speaking of Berenice, she was oddly quiet the whole trip, and other than a few quick glances here and there, she didn't spit or say boo to me or anybody else who wasn't a melonhead. Dr. Huntington didn't necessarily treat her and her people with any kind of kindness, so maybe that was it. He snapped and snarled and called them all sorts of rude names. A burst of lightning startled Bertolt, and he dropped the light stand and broke a bulb and Dr. Huntington beat him upside the head and pushed him to the ground. Careful, you encephalitic idiot, he screamed. I'd never seen Bertolt so cowed. I never thought I'd say this, but the look on his face after the doctor did that to him was downright tragic. I glared at Dr. H as he stomped away, muttering to himself. That ain't right, Dr. H. Beating one of them is like beating a puppy. Berenice shot me a panicked look as the doctor raised around the gear she and her brothers and sisters had set aside. But when I gave her a little wave, she looked away. Then the doctor marched over to me. Why are we stopping? The church is less than a mile away, he gestured at the coming storm. We're running out of time. We won't have no time at all if we're too tired to do anything when we get there, I said. Yes, and how will you feel when you're stuck out in the storm? It's just a few minutes, the doctor simmered. He looked like he wanted to rage at me or maybe even take a swing. Miss Jet, what you don't know about this will kill you. Daddy used to say nothing good ever happens after midnight, which was arguable. Time is a human construct. I don't think evil cared much about when it struck just so long as the strike was hot. But I understood what he meant. Dark is scary. In the dark, anybody or anything wanted to do something terrible, it was easier to find a hiding place. Walking down William Street and into downtown Fredericksburg proper... With the closed streets blocking the light of the moon, the dozens of half-open doors and broken windows, the nine billion places something or someone could be waiting for a bunch of fools like us, tripled my anxiety. We turned right on Princess Anne, and then it was only a block to the church. The tall windows of St. George's were dark, even with the celestial fires burning bright. The Melonhead crew spread out on the sidewalk as Timmy Carter tried to pry the front door open, but it was locked tight. As he went from turning the knob to pulling on it to yanking... I walked around the side to take a look at the basement entrances. The church might have been built in the late 19th century, but that don't mean it was the end of the construction. They put an addition on the other side of the property, including another addition that linked to the main part of it, so that the whole campus formed a U-shape around an old cemetery in the middle, and they renovated the basement to make it accessible from George Street. There was an iron gate on that side, and I peered through the railings at the twin set of doors, wondering if they'd been left unlocked. I felt a tug on my jeans, and then Berenice said, What is it, Mrs.? Jeez, Berenice, don't sneak up on me like that. Her face went slack and she looked like she was about to cry. I'm sorry, Mrs. Yes, Mrs. Berenice has been a terrible... Oh, stop that. You're not terrible, no matter what Dr. H says. You just startled me is all. Okay, Mrs. She wiped away the beginnings of a tear. What is she doing? Do we have secrets? Nah, no secrets. I was just seeing that the basement door was open. Is it? Timmy Carter had stopped yanking and pounding long enough for Dr. H to say, What in the devil do you think you're doing? Open the door! To which Timmy Carter replied a terse, It's locked. Then, in the silence that followed, I heard the rusty creak of a slow-moving hinge, and when I looked back through the iron rungs, one of the basement doors was wide open. Me and Berenice looked at it with wide eyes. I guess so, I said. My heart was so heavy, but my soul, it burned, for I knew, I knew what had to be done. We will shake down the nations, we will watch towers fall as we hear. Blacker and black down there. So black that I couldn't see but a foot in front of my face. And that was only because of the starlight and the moonlight that shined in from the outside. I thought it would be easier to navigate because i had been down there before. Church used the basement for parties and socials and the like. Funeral and wedding receptions. Bible study and youth groups. And AA meetings. So many AA meetings. Even though we wasn't religious, we knew people who was. I don't remember exactly whose funeral I went to because I was six at the time but I remember going into the basement afterward and eating cold cuts on white rolls and drinking sweet tea while Daddy walked around and glad-handed a whole bunch of people I'd never seen before. The place had a low ceiling, and it wasn't the biggest space in the world, but it worked. One thing I didn't remember was where the door to the upper floor was. I assumed it was to the left, but it could have been anywhere for all I knew. I told Berenice to hold my back pocket so she wouldn't get lost and stepped inside. Misses, Misses, It is dark and it is scary. I know, Berenice. Where are you going, missus? Trying to find the door, Berenice. I kicked something, a glass, I think, and it rang along the tile and smashed in the darkness. Berenice squealed. Hush, Berenice. I'm sorry, missus. White lightning flashed outside, illuminating the empty room in front of us for a split second. Thunder rolled in two seconds later. It's getting closer, I said. I strode ahead, confident that nothing was in my way, but Berenice held back, pulling on my pocket. Too fast, missus! Too fast! Hurry up, Berenice. We gotta let him in. She squealed again, and the weight of her hand fell off my back pocket. Berenice! Another flash of lightning exploded overhead, and the room lit up like a fireball. And in that brief second, I saw him appear. Dead people. At least a dozen. Gathered in a knot at the other end. I stumbled back and tripped over something and fell on my rear. A third lightning blasted outside to my left. I saw it strike the street. Saw the asphalt explode and hail down in the strobe light of the blast. Then a fourth hit. And a fifth. And more and more. Seven, eight, nine. Somewhere in the back of my mind, I registered the impossibility of what I was seeing. But that wasn't the thing I was most worried about. Because each time the lightning struck, the room lit up. And each time the room lit up, the dead things at the other end grew closer and closer. Surrounded by green fog. The smell of rot filled the air. And I knew him. I knew him. Years ago, they were lying on the misty grass of the bloody angle, and they chased me in the middle of the battlefield, circled around, and cinched the noose. Their voices filled my head, called out to me from the past. Arm. Two. Leg. Two. I tried to think, tried to act, but the only thing that ran through my mind was, no, 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 no. It was the pause before the accident, the blip in the brain. A hiccup in the hippocampus. wasn't nothing odd about it. Humans froze up in the face of danger all the time. It's biology. The first thing to go in high-stress situations is fine motor skills and intelligence. But then I thought about Berenice. How scared and alone she must have felt. She might have been a strange little thing, but she was innocent. And she had feelings. And for some reason, she liked me. She needed me. That's when I realized what it meant to care more about someone else than I did about myself. It wasn't the kind of love a mother felt for her kids, but it was close. Poor little thing. I couldn't let her down. Berenice! I screamed. and she replied, it was lost in the thunder. I couldn't see the monsters, but I could feel them, smell them. It felt like if I reached out my fingertips, I could graze the fringes of their tattered clothes. Berenice! Another lightning strike, and a rotten face was inches from mine. I don't know what got into me. And anger rose up from inside. Not to mention the shock of seeing something like that so close. And I struck out with the palm of my hand. I felt a crunch. And my hand went through its skull. But it kept coming for me. So I kicked it in the chest. Send it reeling back. The others closed in and grabbed my shoulders. My hair. My sides. Arm. Two. Leg. Two. Nope. I thought. Not tonight. I hopped into a squat and swept my leg around. Felt it connect. Heard him drop. Then a feral, high-pitched screech filled the room, followed by thuds and ripping and tearing sounds. And then a little hand was in mine, and Berenice said, Misses, we must flee And she pulled me up and led me away, strangely confident in the darkness. I heard a door creak open in front of me, and we passed through a threshold, and I knew she'd found the way out. The door slammed shut once we were through, and Berenice said, We go up, misses, ups! So up we went, and up, and up. We hit a landing and turned and continued, then again and again, which wasn't right. That wasn't right at all. The basement was only half a flight down from the main level of the church. The stairs should have ended in the sanctuary. I should have been pulling them front doors open and laughing at the look on Timmy Carter's face as I cried, Surprise, suckers! I wanted to stop and figure out what the heck was going on. But Berenice was a full flight higher than me, her quick short breaths echoing in the well. Berenice! Please, Mrs. Please! I gritted my teeth and pushed on, legs burning, taking the steps two at a time, and I caught up with her just in time to see her run through the front door and out into the blazing sun. She skidded to a stop at the edge of the curb where she almost got hit by a speeding antique car. The driver laid on the horn as it sped by, followed by so many classic cars that I thought we'd stumbled into a parade. All I could see for a full minute was white-walled tires and two-tone paint jobs, sea and pearl and ivory and opal and taupe, and there were canvas convertible tops and... Gleaming chrome grills and gunsight taillights and tail fins? We were still in downtown Fredericksburg as far as I could tell. St. George's behind us and across the street the National Bank of. Whoa. Wait a minute. The National Bank of Fredericksburg wasn't on Princess Anne Street no more. And why was the antique car parade going on so long? A banner was strung up on the iron gates of the cemetery with the words, Do what you're told, not as you will, written across it. Another one over the front door of the bank read, Obedience is freedom. And yet another one strung up across the street said, Confederation, conformity, country. A group of people gathered on the corner of George Street, and they were all talking to each other and pointing at us. At first I thought they were looking at Berenice, but then I saw the poster glued to the telephone pole in front of me. The one with my face blown up in excruciating detail. The word wanted was written above my picture, and underneath it, for murder. Oh man, Berenice, I said. Then two men dressed in field green suits and hats turned the corner of Hanover Street and marched straight for us. I turned the other way, and there were two more. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Thank you for tuning into the Mad Tales podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's chapter. If you cannot wait until next week to finish the story, you can always buy it in ebook and paperback form from amazon.com, or you can buy it directly from me, both in ebook and in paperback, a signed paperback nonetheless, uh, from my website, www.jamesnoll.net. That's www.jamesnoll.net. And if you would love to support me on Patreon, I would love you to support me on Patreon. I'm offering all kinds of cool extras, including access to bonus material, uh, the eBooks released one week at a time, the chapter at a time, uh, customized short stories. And if I can build enough of a following, I want to film a live action version of "Make the Hive Great Again," one of my favorite chapters from the Hive. It's uh, at the end of the first season. It's the very last chapter of the of the first season. That would be an awesome thing to do. So, if you want to visit my Patreon page, it's www.patreon.com slash Tales. That would be fantastic, and I will see you guys next week.